How many of you have heard the term postmodern or postmodernism? Anyone? All right. There's a lot of fancy definitions, but it basically means that you can't know what truth is and that there's no fixed standard for morality, for what is right and what is wrong. You might not realize it, but today, postmodernism is the cultural air we breathe and the water in which we swim. We hear things like, can we really know anything? Or, that may be your truth, but my truth is different. Or, to say something is right or wrong is so intolerant or downright judgy. Can we know the truth? Is there such a thing as truth? Can we know that we have the truth? Can we know that we are a person of truth? Can we tell the difference between competing truth claims? And do we know the truth when we see it or hear it? Today's passage is about Christian truth, how we know if we have the truth and how to tell the difference between truth and error. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. If you're new to the Bible, uh, go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, flip forward a few of those small books to the first epistle, first letter of John. While you're turning to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, let, let's recap our series through 1 John. We are calling it Basics for Believers. John uses basic, simple language, yet he says profound things. Let's also review our periodic table of elements for true Christianity. The book of 1 John is full of tests for each element. The truth test, what we believe. The light test, how we live our lives or our morality. The love test, who and how we love. If the tests don't reveal the presence of all three elements, you don't have true Christianity. Today's passage is primarily about the truth test, but we also get a glimpse of how all three elements interact and relate to each other, and what or who produces them in the first place. Today's outline is really simple. I have two passages of Scripture, two points, two charts, and two applications. But we have a lot of material to cover, so let's dive in. First, we need, to look, we need to think about what it means to be a person of truth. Point number one, person of truth. Our first passage describes for us what a person of truth is like. Uh, follow along as I read aloud 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We can best understand this passage by listing the things that a person of truth has and then pulling out a few takeaways. So, what a person of truth has. First, he has a reassured heart. We see that in verses 19 and 20. Troubled hearts can be reassured through the truth. Notice the words before him. This has to do with the presence of God. As we see in the Old Testament, Time and time again, sinners in the presence of a holy God feel shame. They feel unworthy. Remember the, the, that passage in Isaiah 
Isaiah chapter 6 that Kyle just read for us earlier and that we sang about, when Isaiah sees a holy, holy, holy God, he feels anguish until his lips, his sin, is cleansed through the altar, a place of sacrifice. These verses in 1 John also give hope for Christians who have weak or overactive consciences. Our consciences are wonderful gifts from God to help us know that something is wrong with us. But they are not perfect, especially if they are not informed by God's word. Our consciences can excuse us when they should accuse us, and they can sometimes accuse us when they should excuse us. This doesn't mean that we should ever be flippant about our sin, especially sin that affects other people. But through the gospel, we don't have to be paralyzed by guilt. We have a reassured heart, and thus we have a confident heart. The next thing on our list, a confident heart in verse 21. Once we enjoy the assurance that the gospel brings, we can now have confidence before God, confidence in his presence. This is not confidence in our own goodness. We have none. It's not confidence in our performance, which is always imperfect. This is confidence in the finished work of Christ on the cross for those who repent and believe. And notice what this confidence before God leads to. The next thing on our list, a powerful prayer life in verse 22. Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have confidence in prayer because we have confidence in the gospel. Don't confuse the ask-receive language here. God is not a great vending machine in the sky. We don't manipulate God into giving us our selfish desires by our behavior. This is what false prophets, especially prosperity gospel preachers, teach. But as chapter 5 of 1 John will tell us, we pray all things according to his will. Even Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And as the pattern in the Lord's Prayer teaches us, we pray all things ultimately for God's glory, that his name may be hallowed. Next, we see an obedient life in verse 22. People of the truth keep God's commands. They obey God's commands. This is another example of the light test we've been looking at. People of truth live according to the truth. They obey the truth, and thus they walk in the light, as John has been phrasing it. This is not sinless perfection. It means that the pattern of our life or our lifestyle generally is one of obedience to God and not disobedience. And notice the two commands of, that people of truth obey here in this passage. They believe in the name of Christ. They have a belief in Christ in verse 23. They believe in the name of Christ. This doesn't mean that they use the name Jesus like a spell from Harry Potter. The biblical concept of name isn't just something that you're called for convenience, like Bob or Dan. It has to do with the truth about a person's character identity. So in the Bible, to believe in the name of Christ is to believe all the essential truths about Christ. This is another example of the truth test, specifically truth about Christ. But the other command is to love other Christians. So they have a love for other Christians we see in verse 23 as well. The other command is to love other Christians. This is an example of the love test, which we looked at in our previous sermon and several other sermons in this series, and, Lord willing, we will look at more in the future. Also, the by this language there in verse 19 likely refers back to the passage we just covered in our previous sermon, which taught us that true Christians love other Christians. 
They also have a mutual abiding in verse 24. That sounds like a fancy term, but it just means that we abide in God and God abides in us. If we are truly Christians, we abide in God. We are members of Christ's body, the universal church. In his gospel, John uses the image of a vine and branches to show how Christians abide in God. We stay connected to God, united with God, both for our nourishment and so that we can produce the fruit of good works for his glory. But how is it that God abides in us? Look at the next thing that a person of truth has, the gift of the Spirit in verse 24. People who believe in Christ are people of truth, have the Holy Spirit living within them. They have the gift of the Spirit. I have a couple important takeaways from this passage. First, don't confuse cause with effect. It would be really easy to read this passage as saying that God will give us exactly what we pray for if we have enough faith or if we are a good person. We have what we ask for in prayer because we pray according to God's will and ultimately for His glory. And the great cause behind all the effects listed here is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those who have the gift of the Holy Spirit abide, they pray, they keep God's commands, especially the commands to believe and to love, and they have reassured and confident hearts in the presence of a holy God. And notice how the elements interact here. Truth, light, and love aren't just standalone elements floating free. They are like molecules. Now, let me give you a trigger warning to all of you who were traumatized by your high school chemistry class, okay? I'm not going to get into valence electrons and all that good stuff, okay? Just bear with me. Water, the substance necessary for life, is a molecule made up of elements, two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. So we get the formula H2O. And atomic forces cause these elements to arrange themselves this way. It kind of looks like Kermit the Frog to me, but if you're a Disney fan you probably think it looks like Mickey Mouse or something. So in the life of a true Christian, the elements of truth, light, and love are connected and and interact with each other. Belief in the truth produces light, the light of obedience, and love. And we are commanded, which has to do with light, to believe the truth and to love. And when we experience the love of God, we love the truth and obey the truth, which has to do with light out of a heart of love. A mathematician might call this a reciprocal relationship, as if I haven't nerded out enough already. But what is the force that holds all these elements together? Unlike in science, it is not an impersonal force. For example, the force in Star Wars. No, this is a personal force, the force of the Holy Spirit himself. In fact, It is the Holy Spirit who produces these elements. So you could really think of the truth test, the light test, and the love test as just different tests for the presence or absence of the Holy Spirit in a life. Truth, light, and love also sound a lot like the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists for us in the book of Galatians. So this is what a person of truth is like. Now let's look at what the spirit of truth is like. Point number two, spirit of truth. There are lots of competing philosophies and truth claims in the world today. Postmodernism is a truth claim that says you can't make truth claims. Ironic, I know. There are also lots of truth claims about religion or spirituality. But how should we evaluate claims of spiritual truth? By what makes us feel good about ourselves? 
by what gives us an emotional pick-me-up, by what makes for an inspirational Instagram post. The next passage helps us test competing claims about spiritual truths. Read along as I uh, read aloud 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First, we need to understand that we are given a command here. The verbs in verse 1 are imperatives. That means they're commands. They're orders. What are we being commanded to do? Passively, to not believe every spirit, and actively to test or evaluate the spirits. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be having conversations with actual spirits. We should avoid the occult and any attempt to communicate with spirits or the dead. In the very same verse here, John mentions false prophets. So testing the spirits means testing and evaluating claims of spiritual truth. You test the spirits by testing their human spokesmen or spokespersons. And what are we supposed to test these spiritual claims by? What is our standard? The Bible, God's holy word. Of course, that means we need to know what the Bible says. Second, as we've seen before, John loves contrasts. And there are tons of contrasts in this passage. And to help you see these contrasts, I made some charts. We all know that one of Kyle's love languages is charts. On his anniversary, he probably tells Sarah, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways with this chart. <laughs> we have two charts for two spirits and two kinds of people with two different sets of characteristics and actions. I'm calling the two categories team truth and team error. Notice that there are spirits on both teams, and there are human representatives and spokesmen for each spirit. And notice the us versus them language. John is clear that true Christians, if they are really Christians, belong to team truth. The spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of error is Satan and his demons or his antichrists. The us and the we, that's John, and other apostles, people, men used to write scripture, and we listening to this sermon if we believe the truth and we speak the truth. The they and the them are false prophets, those who believe falsehood and those who spread falsehood, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And we can discern team truth from team error by, the, by who the members are, by their nature, and by what they do, by their actions. So team truth, team error, the who and the do. We'll just go through the chart really, really quickly. And you can see the verse references there that, that track with the, the scriptures. So who these people are. Team truth, they are from God. On team error, they are not from God. On team truth, we have the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself. On team error, we have spirit of antichrist. On team truth, again, they are from God. 
Whereas on team error, they are from the world. And of course, remember from a previous sermon, we talked about how the world, it's not talking about the globe, it's not talking about uh, the universe or the environment, it's talking about the world system that is in rebellion against God, that opposes him. On team truth, we have the spirit of truth. Again, another beautiful name for the Holy Spirit. And on team error, we have the spirit of error. Well, what do these uh, team members do? So on team truth, they confess Jesus in the flesh. This is relating specifically to the fact that, that Jesus Christ, God himself, became a man. Team error, a member there does not confess Jesus. Many of the truths about Jesus, they just do not confess, they do not believe them. On team truth, members of team truth listens to us. They listen to the apostles, they listen to anyone who rightly handles the word of God. Team error does not listen to us. They don't want that. They rebel against that. On team truth, they know God. Whereas on team error, they speak from the world. They speak out of the wisdom of this world system, and the world listens to them. They have a message that the world really wants to hear. The truth from God, they don't always really want to hear that, if they're honest. So we have team truth and team error. Which team is your favorite radio, TV, or online teacher a member of or preacher? In this passage, we have an ultimate test and an ultimate assurance, the ultimate test. What, what ultimately determines whether you are a true Christian who has the Holy Spirit and who is on Team Truth is what you believe about Jesus. Confess here doesn't just mean you say the right words about Jesus, but that you truly believe the truth about Jesus, truth, truths like his humanity, his deity, and the sufficiency of his death on the cross to save any sinner who repents of his sin and places his faith in Christ alone. That's the ultimate test. What's the ultimate assurance we have here? If we are truly a Christian, we have repented and believed. We have the ultimate assurance that the Holy Spirit living within us is greater, far greater than Satan, his demons, his false prophets, and his antichrists. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this reminds us of the poem John wrote earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. We thought about that passage in a sermon we called, You've Got This. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are on the winning team. You are on team truth. And as Gandalf would say, and that is an encouraging thought. I don't know, I've reached peak nerd, sorry. I was actually talking Star Trek with one of our members before, so there you go, true confession. So you see in both these passages that God is calling you to be a person of truth, and to grow in your ability to tell truth from what is false. I have two applications for you. Application number one, believe the truth. Believe the truth. Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus is both God and man, that he lived the sinless life that you and I should have lived but have failed to live, and that his death on the cross is sufficient payment for all our sin. Admit your sin, turn from your sin, and rely upon Christ's work on the cross alone for the forgiveness of sins. Ask one of us uh, today if you have any questions about that. Don't leave here today without knowing that your sins have been forgiven. And once you believe the truth or that you know that you have believed the truth, commit yourself to pursuing the truth and obeying the truth. Application number two, discern the truth. This is just one of many passages in the Bible that urge us and command us to grow in our discernment. 
Oxford, uh, Oxford defines the word discern this way, to perceive or recognize something and to distinguish someone or something. And this is how it defines discernment. The ability to show good judgment about the quality of somebody or something. But how can we grow in discernment? Pray and pursue. Pray and pursue. Pray. As James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray as you read your Bible. Pray throughout the day and have a set time of prayer. One of the many things you should pray for is discernment. Pursue. And there's lots of things we could uh, do to pursue truth, but let me emphasize two. First, read your Bible for yourself. There is no substitute for personal Bible reading. Devotionals can be an aid, but they can also be a crutch. Read your Bible, and don't just read it, think about it. This is what the Bible means by meditate. It doesn't mean to go into a trance and shut your mind off. It means to focus your mind on God's Word and mentally chew on it for long periods of time. Second, get the most you can out of our sermons. Kyle labors all week long to give us meaty, nutritious buffets of truth from God's Word week in and week out. What are you doing to get the most out of this opportunity? Do you just sit passively in the chair or watch online, daydream about your life, and act like you're doing God a favor by coming here? We aren't just trying to feed you each Sunday, although that is the main thing that we're trying to do during this time. We are also trying to model for you how you can read, analyze, and ask questions about a text. We are trying to train you to read your Bibles. And if you are reading your Bible and getting the most out of our weekly sermons, then there are a host of other ways to pursue truth. Attend one of our small groups. We've got some that are theologically meaty. We've got some that, uh, where they're still focused on truth, but, the, but people work together and talk through their lives together. We've got ones that help you think about your worldview. Lots of great small groups. Read books and websites and listen to podcasts. And in fact, we have lists of recommendations on our church website. We pray for discernment and we pursue discernment. Let's wrap this up. We are each called to be a person of truth. A person of truth has certain character qualities, a reassured heart, a confident heart, a powerful prayer life, and obedience to God's commands, especially the commands to believe in Christ and to love other Christians. And a person of truth abides in God and God abides in him because he has the gift of the Holy Spirit. A person of truth is then commanded to discern truth, to distinguish truth from error based on God's word, especially the truth about Jesus. And a person of truth has the ultimate assurance that the Holy Spirit within him guarantees that he is on the winning side. I've said it before in this sermon series, and I'll say it again. Truth matters. Does it matter to you? Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.